Chapter Three of the Doings of Raffles Haw by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A House of Wonders. Robert McIntyre's face must have expressed the utter astonishment which filled his mind at this most unlooked-for announcement. For a moment he thought that his companion must be joking, but the ease and assurance with which he lounged up the steps, and the deep respect with which a richly clad functionary in the hall swung open the door to admit him, showed him that he spoke in sober earnest. Raffles Hogg glanced back, and, seeing the look of absolute amazement upon the young artist's features, he chuckled quietly to himself. "'You will forgive me, won't you, for not disclosing my identity?' he said, laying his hand with a friendly gesture on the other's sleeve. "'Had you known me, you would have spoken less freely.' and I should not have had the opportunity of learning your true worth. For example, you might hardly have been so frank upon the matter of wealth had you known that you were speaking to the master of the hall. "'I don't think that I was ever so astonished in my life,' gasped Robert. "'Naturally you are. How could you take me for anything but a workman? So I am. Chemistry is one of my hobbies, and I spend hours a day in my laboratory yonder.' I have only just struck work, and as I had inhaled some not-over-pleasant gases, I thought that a turn down the road and a whiff of tobacco might do me good. That was how I came to meet you, and my toilet, I fear, corresponded only too well with my smoke-grimed face. But I rather fancy I know you by repute. Your name is Robert McIntyre, is it not? Yes, though I cannot imagine how you knew. Well, I naturally took some little trouble to learn something of my neighbors. I have heard that there was an artist of that name, and I presume that artists are not very common in Tamfield. But how do you like the design? I hope it does not offend your trained taste. Indeed, it is wonderful, marvelous. You must yourself have an extraordinary eye for effect. Oh, I have no taste at all, not the slightest. I cannot tell good from bad. There never was such a complete Philistine. But I had the best man in London down, and another fellow from Vienna. They fixed it between them. They had been standing just within the folding doors upon a large mat of bison skins. In front of them lay a great square court, paved with many-colored marbles, laid out in a labyrinth of arabesque design. In the center, a high fountain of carved jade, shot five thin feathers of spray into the air, four of which curved towards each corner of the court to descend into broad marble basins, with the fifth mounted straight up to an immense height, and then tinkled back into the central reservoir. On either side of the court a tall, graceful palm-tree shot up its slender stem to break into a crown of drooping green leaves some fifty feet above their heads. All around were a series of moorish arches in jade and serpentine marble with heavy curtains of the deepest purple to cover the doors which lay between them in front to right and to left a broad staircase of marble carpeted with rich thick smyrna rugwork led upwards to the upper stories which were arranged around the central court the temperature within was warm and yet fresh like the air of an english may it's taken from alhambra said raffles haw the palm trees are pretty they strike right through the building into the ground beneath and their roots are all girt round with hot water pipes 
They seem to thrive very well. "'What beautifully delicate brasswork!' cried Robert, looking up with admiring eyes at the bright and infinitely fragile metal trellis screens which adorn the spaces between the Moorish arches. "'It is rather neat, but it is not brasswork. Brass is not tough enough to allow them to work it to that degree of fineness. It is gold. But just come this way with me. You won't mind waiting while I remove this smoke?' He led the way to a door upon the left side of the court, which, to Robert's surprise, swung slowly open as they approached it. "'That is a little improvement which I have adopted,' remarked the master of the house. "'As you go up to a door, your weight upon the planks releases a spring which causes the hinges to revolve. Pray, step in. This is my own little sanctum, and furnished after my own heart.' If Robert expected to see some fresh exhibitions of wealth and luxury, he was woefully disappointed. For he found himself in a large but bare room, with a little iron truckle bed in one corner, a few scattered wooden chairs, a dingy carpet, and a large table heaped with books, bottles, papers, and all the other debris which collected around a busy and untidy man. Motioning his visitor into a chair, Raffles Haw pulled off his coat and turned up the sleeves of his coarse flannel shirt. He began to plunge and scrub in the warm water which flowed from a tap in the wall. "'You see how simple my own tastes are,' he remarked, as he mopped his dripping face and hair with a towel. "'This is the only room in my great house where I find myself in a congenial atmosphere. It is homely to me. I can read here and smoke my pipe in peace. Anything like luxury is abhorrent to me.' "'Really, I should not have thought it,' observed Robert. "'It is a fact, I assure you. "'You see, even with your views as to the worthlessness of wealth, "'views which, I am sure, are very sensible and much to your credit, "'you must allow that if a man should happen to be the possessor of vast, "'well, let us say, considerable sums of money, "'it is his duty to get that money into circulation, "'so that the community may be the better for it.' There is the secret of my fine feathers. I have to exert all my ingenuity in order to spend my income, and yet keep the money in legitimate channels. For example, it is very easy to give money away, and no doubt I could dispose of my surplus, or part of my surplus, in that fashion. But I have no wish to pauperize anyone, or to do mischief by indiscriminate charity. I must exact some sort of money's worth for all the money which I lay out. You see my point, don't you? Entirely, though really it is something novel to hear a man complain of the difficulty of spending his income. I assure you that is a very serious difficulty with me, but I have hit upon some plans, some very pretty plans. Will you wash your hands? Well, then, perhaps you'd care to have a look around. Just come into this corner of the room and sit upon the chair. So, now I will sit upon this one, and we are ready to start." The angle of the chamber in which they sat was painted for about six feet in each direction of a dark chocolate brown, and was furnished with two red plush seats protruding from the walls, and in striking contrast with the simplicity of the rest of the apartment. This, remarked Raffleshaw, is a lift, though it is so closely joined to the rest of the room, that without the change in color it might puzzle you to find the division. It is made to run either horizontally or vertically. This line of knobs represents the various rooms, 
you can see dining smoking billiard library and so on upon them i will show you the upward action i press this one with kitchen upon it there was a sense of motion a very slight jar and robert without moving from his seat was conscious that the room had vanished and that a large oaked wooden door stood in the place which it had occupied that is the kitchen door said raffles haw i have my kitchen at the top of the house i cannot tolerate the smell of cooking we have come up eighty feet in a very few seconds now i press again and we are in my room once more robert mcintyre stared about him in astonishment the wonders of science are greater than those of magic he remarked yes it is a pretty little mechanism now we try horizontal i pressed the dining knob and here we are you see step towards the door and you will find it open in front of you robert did as he was bid and found himself with his companion in a large and lofty room while the lift the instant that it was freed from their weight flashed back to its original position with his feet sinking into the soft rich carpet as though he were ankle-deep in some mossy bank he stared about him at the great pictures which lined the walls surely surely i see raphael's touch here he cried pointing up at the one which faced him yes it is a raphael and i believe one of his best i had a very exciting bid for it with the french government they wanted it for the louvre but of course at an auction the longest purse must win and this arrest of cataline must be a rubens one cannot mistake his splendid men and his infamous women yes it is a rubens the other two are velasquez and tiniers fair specimens of the spanish and of the dutch schools i have only old masters here the moderns are in the billiard-room the furniture here is a little curious in fact i fancy that it is unique it is made of ebony and narwhal's horns you see the legs of everything are of spiral ivory both the table and the chairs it cost the upholsterer some little pains for the supply of these things is a strictly limited one curiously enough the chinese emperor had given a large order for the narwhal's horns to repair some ancient pagoda which was fenced in with them but i outbid him in the market his celestial highness has had to wait there is a lift here in the corner but we do not need it pray step through this door this is the billiard room he continued as they advanced into the adjoining room you see i have a few recent pictures of merit upon the walls here is our carat two maisonniers a bougueru a malaise an orchidson and two alma tademas it seems to me to be a pity to hang pictures over these walls of carved oak look at these birds hopping and singing in the branches they really seem to move and twitter don't they they are perfect i never saw such exquisite work but why do you call it a billiard-room mr haw i do not see a board oh a board is such a clumsy uncompromising piece of furniture it is always in the way unless you actually need to use it in this case the board is covered by that square of polished maple which you see led into the floor now i put my foot upon this motor you see as he spoke the central portion of the flooring flew up and a most beautiful tortoise-shell plated billiard-table rose up to its proper position he pressed a second spring and a bagatelle table appeared in the same fashion you may have card tables or what you will by setting the levers in motion he remarked but all this is very trifling 
Perhaps we may find something in the museum which may be of more interest to you. He led the way into another chamber, which was furnished in an antique style, with hangings of the rarest and richest tapestries. The floor was a mosaic of colored marbles, scattered over with mats of costly fur. There was little furniture, but a number of Louis XIV's cabinets of ebony and silver, with delicately painted plaques, were ranged around the apartment. "'It is perhaps hardly fair to dignify it by the name of a museum,' said Raffles Haw. "'It consists merely of a few elegant trifles, which I have picked up here and there. Gems are my strongest point. I fancy that there, perhaps, I might challenge comparison with any private collector in the world. I lock them up, for even the best servants may be tempted.' He took out a silver key from his watch-chain, and began to unlock and draw out the drawers cry of wonder and admiration burst from Robert McIntyre, and his eyes rested upon case after case filled with the most magnificent stones. The deep, still red of the rubies, the clear, scintillating green of the emeralds, the hard glitter of the diamonds, the many shifting shades of barrels, of amethysts, of onyxes, of cat's eyes, of opals, of agates, of cornelians, seemed to fill the whole chamber with a vague twinkling, many-colored light. Long slabs of the beautiful blue lapis lazuli, magnificent bloodstones, specimens of pink and red and white coral, long strings of lustrous pearls, all these were tossed out by their owner as a careless schoolboy might pour marbles from his bag. This isn't bad, he said, holding up a great glowing yellow mass as large as his own head. It is really a fine piece of amber. It was forwarded to me by my agent at the Baltic. Twenty-eight pounds it weighs. I never heard of so fine a one. I have no very large brilliance. There were no very large ones in the market. But my average is good. Pretty toys, are they not? He picked up a double handful of emeralds from a drawer, and then let them trickle slowly back into the heap. Good heavens! cried Robert, as he gazed from case to case. It is immense fortune in itself. Surely a hundred thousand pounds would hardly buy so splendid a collection. "'I don't think that you would do for a valuer of precious stones,' said Raffles Haw, laughing. "'Why, the contents of that one little drawer of brilliance could not be bought for the sum which you name. I have a memo here of what I have expended up to date on my collections, though I have agents at work who will probably make very considerable additions to it within the next few weeks.' As matters stand, however, I've spent—let me see—pearls, one forty thousand, emeralds, seven fifty, rubies, eight forty, brilliants, nine twenty, onyxes—I have several very nice onyxes—two thirty, other gems, carbuncles, agates, hum, yes, it figures out at just over four million seven hundred and forty thousand, I dare say— that we may say five millions, for I have not counted the odd money. "'Good gracious!' cried the young artist with staring eyes. "'I have a certain feeling of duty in the matter. You see, the cutting, polishing, and general sale of stones is one of those industries which is entirely dependent upon wealth. If we do not support it, it must languish, which means misfortune to a considerable number of people.' The same applies to the gold filigree work which you noticed in the court. Wealth has its responsibilities, and the encouragement of these handicrafts 
are among the most obvious of them here is a nice ruby it is burmese and the fifth largest in existence i am inclined to think that if it were uncut it would be the second but of course cutting takes away a great deal he held up the blazing red stone about the size of a chestnut between his finger and thumb for a moment and then threw it carelessly back into his drawer come into the smoking-room he said you will need some little refreshment for they say that sightseeing is the most exhausting occupation in the world End of chapter 3「They fixed it between them」。